What kind of conversations have been occurring around your house this last week? Y'all been talking about, have we got gifts for everybody? Who else do we need to buy gifts for? Who's coming in town? Who's going out of town? What kind of meals are we going to have? You've been talking about how crazy it is at some of the shopping places around here. Y'all been having Christmas conversations? Celebration conversations. I love that kind of stuff. It's a fun time of year and our talk is just filled with those things. And so what I wanted to do this morning is just continue the conversation by talking together about the celebration of Christmas. And so let's do that this morning by looking at Luke chapter 15. Now Jesus is encountering some Pharisees and scribes who are not happy with what he's been doing. He's been hanging around tax collectors and sinners, the people that really aren't good people. Just not the kind of people you want to be around if you're a good person. But Jesus has been hanging around them and the Pharisees and the scribes are very critical of what he's been doing. And so he engages them with a couple stories. And I want us to look at that together today in Luke 15. Luke 15 verse 1 says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to Jesus and listening to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, a man had two sons. Now Jesus tells these first two little stories as a build-up to the more significant story. He starts with a hundred sheep. He tells the story of a man who loses one of his sheep and goes out seeking for that one. He tells the story of a woman with ten coins, like a, a set of coins. She loses one, and all of a sudden the set is broken up, and she goes after that one coin. So you get a hundred sheep, you have ten coins, and then you have two sons. When you think about what this man lost when he lost a sheep, it might be something like you finding out in the month of December that you're going to get a pay cut. That's not the month you want to get a pay cut, right? The woman who lost one coin of the ten may be kind of like finding out that you lost one section of your four-piece fly rod. 
It's a significant problem. It's no longer as useful as it would have been, and it's certainly not as valuable. And yes, the man who found that one lost sheep would gather his friends together and his family and his neighbors. He said, I found the one sheep. I got my paycheck back. And he would rejoice and they would join him in that rejoicing. And Jesus said, heaven is a little bit like that. When one sinner repents, there's a lot of rejoicing that goes on in heaven. And yeah, that one woman who found that one coin who made her set complete would gather her friends and rejoice and be excited about what happened. And Jesus says, that experience right there is a little bit like heaven. See, when one sinner repents, all of heaven breaks out in celebration. But if you really want to understand what heaven is like, if you really want to get this, I got to tell you a story about a man who had two sons. And so he tells him this story. A man had two sons. The younger of him said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. That one demand, we learn a great deal about this younger son. The younger son has just approached his father and said to his father, all that's coming to me when you die, I'd like to have it right now. Dad, what I'm saying to you is that it'd be better with me if we just pretended that you were already dead. And I would receive what belongs to me when you're dead. Dad, I would rather have your money than you. I mean, this younger son is so selfish, so self-centered that he would go to his dad and say to him, it'd be better to me if you were just dead. I just want your stuff because I want to take that stuff. I want to do with it what I want to do. I want to leave here and do my own thing. Just as soon as you're dead, since you're not dead, how about we play like you are? It's appalling. This request is terrible. And yet, look what the dad does. So he divided the wealth between them. Can you imagine this experience in this home? Dad calls together the two boys, says the younger boy has asked for all his portion of the wealth. I'm going to do it. Can you imagine the older son in that moment? What in the world's going on? The complete disruption in the family affairs and business. No telling them what they have to do to rightly divide this. It doesn't matter. The son wants his way. And the father divides this, and as difficult as it is, he does it. Verse 13, and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country and there he squandered his estate with loose living. In just a few days after the younger son says, Dad, I want your stuff, I don't want you, the younger son evidently liquidates everything that was given to him, 
so that he can take everything that is his and go somewhere else. Can you imagine that moment, that day? Things are in complete chaos and disarray, and the younger son communicates, I'm now taking everything that's mine that I've liquidated at your inconvenience and your expense, and I'm leaving you behind to deal with the trouble that I've created because I want my own way, and he walks out right there on his family. And they're left just to deal with all the chaos and craziness they experience because of his selfishness. He goes his own way to do his own thing. And the story goes that he squanders away everything that his father had given him. With a life is the opposite of what his father would have ever wanted for him. Verse 14, now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. He began to be impoverished. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and I'll go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. The, the younger son gets out there and he's pursuing his own selfish gain. And he discovers what everyone discovers when you pursue selfishness. That selfishness always ends in emptiness. Always. You, you, you cannot pursue selfishness and avoid the outcome of that pursuit. Always emptiness. And in his emptiness, he comes so close to being full. He comes to his senses. I could go home. I can craft a speech that will at least give me opportunity to be a slave, a servant in my father's house. I don't deserve to be his son anymore. I deserve to be dead in his sight, but perhaps maybe I might convince him to give me a place as a servant. I'll craft this nice speech and I'll try to woo my way in and try to convince him that I'm at least good enough to be a slave and I don't have to deal with this. This is so bad, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get out of this. He became so desperate, he would do anything because he realized emptiness is not the kind of life that's worth living. Just go home and try something else. And so the story continues. Verse 20, so he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And felt compassion for him. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. You imagine the younger son as he's approaching the house thinking to himself, okay, I'm going to say this. I'm going to talk about, Lord, I'm not worthy. Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. He's, he's rehearsing what he's going to say when he sees his father. He knows he's not going to be welcomed back. He's got to convince him. He's working out the speech. And the father 
day after day has been thinking, what would it be like if my son came home? Certainly he's played out this thought, this idea, this plan in his mind a million times. He's probably been woken from sleep at night dreaming about the day that his young son might come home. And the day arrives and he sees him in the distance. And the first thing the father does is he is moved with compassion in his heart. He begins to run as fast as his old legs can carry him out to his son. And before his son can say a single word, he wraps his son up in his arms and he loves him. He hugs him. He kisses him. He lavishes his favor upon him before the son could say a word. The son was coming home to try to convince his father to let him just be a slave, wanting to work out once again something for his own gain, and instead he gets something from the father he could never have gained on his own. Unconditional love. Look what he says. The son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead. And has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Can you imagine? The father receives his son. As if back from the dead. His lost son is now found. And Jesus wants us to see that that is a little bit closer to what heaven is like. It's like when a dad loses his child and never thinks he'll have him back. And he gets him back again. That lost child who's found. That dead child who is alive. Heaven's a little bit like that. You know who the father is in the story, don't you? Jesus is telling a story about himself. See, he's been out hanging around all the tax collectors and the sinners, the people that nobody else cared about. Because Jesus wants us to know that he seeks sinners. He's going after people who are lost and broken, ripped to shred by their own pursuit of selfish gain, left completely empty and broken and Jesus is seeking after sinners if you here today and you know you've been pursuing your own selfish ways that you've been leaving a wake of trouble in your life for somebody else to deal with and you are simply out for what you need and you have come to the realization that selfish pursuits end in emptiness and you are desperate enough to see I hope you will see today that Jesus is seeking sinners just like you he loves you he's not waiting for you to come back with a speech that explains everything in a low position that you are worthy of. No, He is waiting for you with open arms to give you a status of which you are not worthy. He wants to call you His child. And He's simply waiting for you to let Him find you. He's already seeking. Will you let Him find you?
Jesus seeks sinners. Now let's look at the rest of the story. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. Younger son out wasting money, spending everything, coming back with nothing. Older son the whole time has been doing exactly what the older son should be doing. He's in the field working hard. For his dad. Older son is in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and he began inquiring what these things could be. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older son, he became angry and was not willing to go in. What? You got to be kidding me. My little brother who has totally ruined our lives, created all this havoc and brokenness. He's coming back and now dad's acting like nothing is wrong. He's killed the fatted calf. You've got to be kidding me. And he's standing out there with his arms crossed, obstinately refusing to go into the celebration. I'm not going in. The irony of all ironies. On the day that the father finds his lost son, his son that was already found gets lost. What's the father going to do? Look what he does. And his father came out and began pleading with him. And he answered and he said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours. What? I mean, do you, do you have kids? I've never disobeyed you, Dad. Okay, whatever. <laughs> I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. How dare you, Dad? He acted like you were dead. And now you love him? What about me? I've never done anything that bad. Why don't you do something for me? Verse 31, and he said to him, Son, you've always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. We had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, and was lost, and has been found. The end. But it doesn't really feel like the end, does it? I mean, don't you kind of want to know what happens to the older brother, the older son? He's just out there, arms crossed. His dad is pleading with him. 
And Jesus doesn't tell us whether or not he comes home. In this room this morning, there are likely some of us who are lost. We've lost our way in our own selfish, and we know it. We're ready to come home. And I want to urge you to recognize that Jesus seeks sinners. But it just might be that there are more of us in this room who can identify with the older son. Lord, I'm really praying for, you know the guy I'm praying for, Lord. He, I can't even say his name. He's such a jerk. But praise God, during Christmas season, he's come to church, and man, it'd be great if that old Scrooge could get saved today. Lord, we've been hearing a lot about repentance at the church lately, but Lord, I'm glad that I'm not one of those who, whose life is a complete wreck. Really appreciate what all you've been doing to me to put my life together and make it better than everybody else. Lord, all this talk about confessing sin, well, I'm glad my list is pretty short. I'd hate to be that guy who's got a long list. It just might be that there's more of us in this room that identify with the older son and you know what Jesus wants us to know? He seeks after sinners. No matter how bad you think you are today, no matter how far you've drifted into sin and brokenness, you are never so far that Jesus is seeking can't find you. And for those of you who have not thought of yourself and being far away or lost or in need of Christ very much at all lately because you've been doing pretty good, I want you to know you're a whole lot worse than you think you are. You know how I can prove it? When I need to remind myself that I'm a whole lot worse off than what I think I am, I just look at the cross. Because the cross of Jesus informs me that it required Jesus' death to save me. And that I needed as much of His death as the person who I think is really, really bad. And that means that I am really, really in need of being found. Jesus is seeking sinners, both the one who is broken in unrighteousness and the one who is broken in self-righteousness. Jesus just wants us all to let ourselves be found wherever we are by His great love. The question this morning is not, is Jesus seeking you? The question is, will you be found? He's seeking every one of us. And we need to be found right where we are, right as we are. You know what I love to do around this time of year, particularly related to football games? So tonight's a big game for Dallas Cowboy fans, right? Got your clock set for 7.30, DVRs, all that good stuff, ready to go. So tonight, 
Here's kind of what we'll do as a family. We're going to start celebrating with a good meal before the game. I mean, it's going, to be, it's going to be what we really like to eat. It's going to be celebratory. We're going to be excited. We're going to be looking forward to the game. It's going to be high-pitched, feverish kind of excitement. And then we're going to have a celebratory dessert. We're going to have it all right. We're going to act like we've already won the game. Because here's the thing. I don't want a loss to get in the way of a good celebration. So I just want to do the celebrating on the front end. So no matter what happens in the game, I've still done my celebrating, right? I love to celebrate, don't you? I mean, that's one of the things we love about Christmas. We love celebration. Jesus is seeking after sinners, but please don't miss why. When he finds one of you, when he found me, when he found you, he went crazy in celebration. And he, he asked all of heaven to join in him celebrating when you were found, when I was found, the fact that we've been found. Jesus Christ leads out in the celebration. He's the one who's celebrating. He's the shepherd who finds the sheep and calls everybody to celebrate with him because he found his sheep. He's like the woman who found the coin, who calls together and says, I found my coin. He's the one that found the sinner. He is the father who is seeking after us so that when we are found, he is celebrating his glory and goodness and seeking after us. He celebrates. So here's what I think we ought to do this Christmas season. We're going to be busy about celebrating Jesus Christ and his birth, and rightfully so. But the real good news of Christmas, what ought to drive our celebration, is the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He rose again from the dead, and he has offered a rescue to everyone who lets him find them. So here's what I think we should do. Let's do the best we can to give Jesus every reason to celebrate. I just think it's really cool that Christmas is not really about us celebrating as much as it is Jesus celebrating that he found us and inviting us into that celebration. So, so don't, don't give gifts and celebrate with food while at the same time neglecting that Jesus wants to find you. Just let him find you. Right where you are today, right where you are tomorrow, just let him find you again and again and again. And just let his love and his forgiveness wash over you. Let him find you and let him speak to you what he accomplished on your behalf that you could never accomplish, that has made you his child. Let him just love on you and let yourself be found and then just enjoy the invitation into his celebration over finding you. And just maybe, just maybe over this Christmas season, we might become a little bit more like Jesus. See, we're, we're going to discover we're sinners that have been rescued. We've been found. And maybe by being found again and again throughout this season, we might become more like Him. Seeking other sinners and inviting them to simply let themselves be found by the one who is seeking after them. The good news of Christmas. Jesus seeks sinners. So let's increase Jesus' 
celebration this Christmas. Amen.